Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Election College Episode 45. Wilson gets reelected because a Republican misses an appointment. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So, Ben. Yeah, Jason. Woodrow Wilson, I mean, he's kind of a dark horse in 1912, but he turns out to be a pretty popular president by the time 1916 rolls around. Yeah, it's kind of funny how it goes from nobody really knows who you are to you are a combination of the leader of your party and the leader of the United States of America. I would take that deal. Uh, well, no, I probably wouldn't. I'm not really much of a politician <laughs> type, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting with Wilson. I mean, throughout his really adult life, he has issues with his health. I mean, he's got hardening of the arteries, which might mean stroke. Uh, he's incapacitated here and there. And uh, he still becomes the president of Princeton. He becomes the governor of New Jersey and he's elected president in 1912. And he takes a vacation. <laughs> he goes to Bermuda because <laughs> what better thing is there to do than take a vacation, right? Absolutely. And with when you know you're going to have such a stressful job coming up, hey, why not get away for a couple of weeks or something? Uh, but he goes to Bermuda and he comes back and he is super excited about the job. He's really aggressive about his uh, policies. He might be a little combative here and there as well. But he really has this uh, idea that the presidency, it's, it's not to be taken lightly, which is good. But he says, you got to put on your war paint. And so that really kind of gives you the idea of how he's going to tackle things and how he's going to approach things here in the future in the next at least four years. 
Yeah. So he's like, my agenda is all about lower tariffs. I'm going to reform the banks and he is going to be really aggressive in legislation pertaining to trust and labor issues. So, uh, he's pretty austere from the beginning. I mean, he's like, I'm not going to have an inaugural ball. I'm just going to have some friends and family over to the White House and we are going to have something very nice and intimate. And part of that deal is also, I mean, he's not a huge people person. He's good with people and he doesn't, he knows that you should be around people, but he doesn't love being around people. He makes a couple of exceptions where he, um, you know, the, the press, we talked about the press with Teddy Roosevelt. He lets the press have, uh, two press conferences a week at the White House. Um, he, he, the funny thing is though, he won't let anybody quote him, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, uh, when you think about it, but probably was a good practice at the time. He had a guy named Tumulty and he's like, Hey, I'm your man. I'm going to keep this buffer around you. And really he served as the guy who was going to be like, Wilson's going to have his two weekly press conferences. He's going to address the joint house and Senate every year, giving a state of the union address, which was not done in person um, since like Jefferson's time. So over a hundred years. Yeah. And so Wilson, um, also really recognizes that as a Democrat, as the first Democrat elected since 1856 as president, Woo. he really needs to, um, he really needs to bring it on to the party and help the party out. And so he, he does. He just kind of goes at it full force. He's also the first Southerner elected to the White House since 1869. Um, he, he makes a lot of promises, keeps most of them, doesn't keep some of them. Um, but he's just aggressive and, and got a lot going on at the same time. Yeah. And being a Southerner, and it's kind of interesting along that line, Ben, I don't know if you, you read about this, but his wife was like, um, we're living up North right now, but I want to make sure that we have our babies in the South. Cause I don't want my kids to be accused of being Yankees. Like they were Ouch. that Southern. Wow. Yeah. And he carried some of those Southern tendencies into his administration. Uh, one of the things was that he had his postmaster and his treasury secretary. He permitted them to have racially segregated employees in those departments. Yeah. And the, the craziest thing was this is something that Wilson had actually said, I'm going to, I'm going to work with this and try and get rid of some of that. And I, I want everybody to understand that racial injustices are not okay. And then when it came down to it, he's like, eh. So in implementing some of his economic policies, Wilson really had to transcend beyond these two factions of the Democratic Party. You had your Southerners who were more um, agrarian and you had these pro-business Democrats who were really led by urban bosses. And we've talked about that a little bit, like Tammany Hall uh, in New York. And there were others, but Wilson really had to be a salesman uh, of sorts, trying to negotiate between these two factions. And it did not always work out to be 
a good thing for minorities. Exactly. So you've also got the Mexican Revolution going on during Woodrow Wilson's presidency, and there's a whole lot of opinions on what should be going on. You know, you've got different parts of the country saying different things about it. But the fact of the matter is there had to be a stance just because of the fact that Mexico is so closely, um, well, literally physically touching the United States. So uh, Wilson does chip in on some of those things. He supports certain factions of of the war, of the Civil War, I guess you could call it. Um, he, he even says, we're friends of the constitutional government because there's no other way our neighbors can work out their own development and peace and liberty. Essentially saying that um, we're, we're fans of the people who are originally part of Mexico or who are originally the government of Mexico. We're not in favor of this coup that's going on. Yeah. And so you had some other things going on. Um, there were there was a dispute between Colorado miners and their company. And it actually resulted in the Ludlow massacre. Uh, eight strikers died and 11 children and two mothers also perished. So, um, part owner of that was John D. Rockefeller Jr. And he, Rockefeller refused Wilson's order of mediation and it was really a, a difficult time because what are you going to do? Send troops. And that's exactly what Wilson did. And he did bring order to the situation and that showed support for the labor unions and the, the situation. And there's a lot to it, but it actually was a defeat for Wilson because the miners actually had to surrender to the troops. So it, it was, it was a very difficult situation how to navigate that. And cause you had miners who were going against the grain and um, there's only so much a president can do. Right. And right around that same time in 1914, uh, we've also got another difficult situation for Wilson. His wife, Ellen, uh, she had kidney failure and it had continued to get worse and worse as it went on. And, and so they're both kind of in, in bad shape, right? Um, but she had a fall and she was then, um, contained to her bed. She was bedridden. And for a while she got better and, and Wilson was optimistic and, um, then, a little while later, she took a turn for the worse and passed away in August of 1914. And so Wilson kind of just slips into this deep depression for about six months. Uh, lots of mourning, obviously. Yeah. And so for that six month period, you're not really hearing so much from him, but World War One breaks out in Europe and this is going to shape really the rest of his presidency. Um, but by January of 1915, uh, Wilson is back at it. He delivers a very spirited speech in Indianapolis where he accuses Republicans as having done nothing new for 30 years and that the Republican party quote is still a covert and a refuge for those who are afraid for those who want to consult their grandfathers about everything. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, uh, from history, we know that Wilson was to put this politely 
friendly with the ladies and he never really had a hard time making friends. But um, a while after his wife died, I'm sure he wanted to uh, have another wife, have another companion. And so it wasn't terribly hard for him. He met Edith Bollinggelt, and she was a Southerner. She was a, a widow, like he was a widower. And um, they they met a few times. They fell in love, and then they got married. And a lot of people were like, wait, um, are you guys, are you sure you want to do this? You know, you're the president, and um, maybe she just wants to, you know, get to be the first lady or something. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to marry her. It's cool. So that really brings us to 1916 and it's time for Woodrow to run again. So the Republicans, um, they're doing their thing over there, but let's start with the Democrats. Okay. Um, I think that's a cool idea. Yeah. So they have their convention in St. Louis in June and Wilson's really popular. Yeah, I mean, he's enormously popular with the party. He's quite frankly not terribly unpopular with the Republicans either. Uh, he, he's pretty much renominated without any opposition. Um, they, uh, they also re-vote in Thomas Marshall, the vice president at the time. And yeah, it's pretty much game set match, I guess you could say. Yay, a vice president doesn't die. Yeah, this is like, this is one of the first times for a very long time you have the same VP coming in. So on the Republican front, as we remember four years ago, uh, Theodore Roosevelt decides that he wants to be president again. William Howard Taft is like, I'm running for reelection, dude. Back up. <laughs> don't, don't, don't step on my turf here. Uh, Roosevelt says, I'm going to form the progressive party. And if you're a Republican or progressive, um, you're out because <laughs> you do <laughs> not do not whatever you do. Don't split the party. Yeah. We've seen many times. That's a bad idea. Um, so w- when you go to the party, you wear a nice suit, I'm sure. Um, and <laughs> everybody's looking and looking their best and they're like, okay, well, we've got, um, We've got the senator from New York. We've got a senator from Massachusetts. Uh, we, we probably need a moderate so we can get both sides of the party that's now split. Um, we could, we could nominate Teddy Roosevelt. No, wait, no, we don't want to do that. He left the party. We can't do that. And then, uh, all of a sudden this guy who happens to be a Supreme Court justice, his name is Charles Evans. Sorry, Charles Evans Hughes. Um, He's been on the court for a few years and he's like, Hey, um, I know I haven't said a whole lot about political issues in a while. It's, it's kind of my job to do that. But if you guys wanted to nominate me, I wouldn't turn it down. Yeah. And so since he hasn't spoken publicly about political issues in six years, he turns out to be a pretty popular guy with the Republicans. So they really unite behind Hughes, both the Roosevelt progressive faction and the Taft sort of main stream mainline Republican. Uh, everybody's behind Hughes. Yeah. And, and you met, we mentioned the progressives a few times. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt is part of the progressives and they're like, Hey, um, Hey Teddy, you're nominated. And he's like, eh, I'm going to send you a telegraph and say, <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Cause I cannot stand 
the Democrats, and under no circumstance will it be my fault that the, if they win. So no, I, I need to support. I need to support Hughes in the Republican Party. And then the progressives are like, well, I guess we don't exist anymore. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting to note that the United States, I mean, this is really a different global era that we're moving into here with war breaking out in Europe. We haven't seen anything like this where there is any iota of a thought that the United States should be involved in Europe in any way. And Roosevelt is like, we cannot allow Wilson to run this country for another four years because Wilson was allowing Germany and other warring nations in Europe to quote bully and intimidate the United States. Right. And really what it comes down to is Teddy, really believed that under no circumstance should we be made to look bad. And he also thought that it would be good for us to defend some of the other countries, even though a lot of the things hadn't come out quite yet at this point in time. Mostly Woodrow Wilson's like, well, the American public doesn't want to do it. I don't really care. We got plenty of things going on here and I'm just not going to go for it. And so both of them from either side were attacked by the opposite party and saying that uh, Teddy, you're a warmonger and uh, Wilson, you're kind of a wimp. And um, it's kind of an interesting situation that we'll get into a little more here in the next episode as far as what ended up happening, of course. Yeah. And Ben, guess what? Uh Uh-huh. What? The, The Socialist Party, they're still around. Oh, good. I was hoping we'd see them again. Yeah. And you've got... um. Eugene Debs, he's their most popular guy. He's like, um, you know what? I've already tried this. I'm just going to run for Congress. <laughs> <laughs> and so Alan Benson um, really is their front runner guy. And he is the nominee for the Socialist Party. Hey, so this is the least spoilerish spoiler you've ever heard, but I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say it. The Socialist Party doesn't win, but they actually get a fair number of votes in this election, which is interesting to note for me. Yeah. So the Democrats, they're really building their campaign, um, and it's all around the slogan, he kept us out of war. <laughs> so yay, Wilson. Um He's he's keeping peace here stateside. And they were like, the Republicans, if they win, it would mean that we are going to war with both Mexico and Germany. Right. And like I said before, we are involved a little bit in Mexico, but not really. I mean, we're not having any kind of participation in the actual war necessarily. And Germany. Well, why even bot? We don't want to go to war with Germany. Keep those Republicans out of here and we won't have to do it. Yeah. And so Hughes, he was really trying to downplay the war issue. Um, he was an advocate of a program where there was um, greater mobilization here stateside and, and just being prepared. So Wilson says to the Germans, hey, you know this submarine warfare you've got going on? Let's dial that back a little bit. And, of course, that's difficult for Hughes to attack because 
he believes that's also, you know, peace is a good thing. Uh, so what he does instead is he criticizes all the interventions that are going on in Mexico. And, uh, there, you know, there's some different support for different factions. And then he's also like, Hey, um, you're, you're, you're all pro labor and stuff and you want to limit the workday to eight hours, but this isn't helping business interest any. You're not helping the, you're not helping businesses around the world. Yeah, and Hughes's criticisms really gained very little traction, but among the factory workers who supported laws protecting labor, um that that didn't go over too well. So, um Hughes was really helped with by the support of Theodore Roosevelt and by the fact that Republicans were still the majority party at the time. The only thing is, Ben, if you make an appointment with somebody, keep it. Yeah, absolutely. Hughes goes to California because it's really nice weather out there. And he's on his campaign trip. This is right before the election's coming up. And Hiram Johnson, he's he's this really powerful Republican governor, is like, all right, let's meet. Um, I want to see what you're all about. And he doesn't. He doesn't get to meet. Hughes doesn't show up for the appointment. And so Johnson's like, well, all right, snub me. I'm not giving you my support. Ouch. So you ready to talk about the results? <sighs> Do we have to? I feel so bad for everybody involved here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll talk about the results. Uh, they're really close, super close. And that's why I feel so bad for everybody because – it's almost better if you win or lose by a complete blowout, right? If you win and you know, I destroyed the other guy, that means a lot of people like you. And if you win and you only win by a couple of votes, you're like, Oh, I only, I'm like, I'm like not the most, I'm, I'm, I know I'm technically the most popular, but I'm not really the most popular. And if you lose by just a couple of votes, you're like, Oh, just a couple more people could have got out and voted for me and I would have won. And if you lose by a ton, you're like, well, at least it wasn't close. <laughs> so anyway, I just always hate that close of things. Yeah, I think my head just exploded with that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> follow, follow my, uh, my senseless logic, I guess, my bleeding heart logic. So Wilson actually gets 277 electoral votes and Hughes got 254. So for those of you who know anything about the electoral college, which if you've been listening to the podcast, you do, you know, that is amazingly close. And then when you consider that a state like California, where you have 13 of those electoral votes and it's a winner take all situation, you win California or you lose California if you're Hughes by less than 4,000 votes. You're kind of wishing that you would have kept that appointment with Governor Johnson. <laughs> yeah. And California wasn't the only one that was incredibly close. It may have been the one that mattered the most, but New Hampshire, which again wasn't a huge electoral vote source, but Wilson wins in New Hampshire by literally 56 votes. 56 votes is like mm. a small, 
a small college class didn't show up yeah. to vote and he wins by that much. Yeah. And it's pretty crazy then because, um, with all of these votes, I mean, there's a ton more, like three and a half million more popular votes in this election. These are extremely small margins. And I would love to do a podcast about this. And perhaps we will have episodes about women's suffrage in the future. Stay tuned to Election College because we are going to run out of elections to talk about. But um, many states now are allowing women to vote. Yeah, it's um, we're seeing more people come out to vote than we ever have before. And of course, that's due to the approximately, I think, 30 states that we're allowed to vote now at this point. And three and a half million more from 1912 to 1916 people come out to vote. And I mean, part of this is due to um, greater interest in things. The fact that uh, the candidates are both popular candidates, so they're kind of equal as well. And they're bringing out more people to vote. But you've got entire states. I mean, Illinois, for example, um, they allowed women's suffrage. And you have one million more people in Illinois vote in 1916 than in 1912. So that's an insane, for the amount of people that voted, that's an insane amount of women that voted, I would imagine, to be part of that million. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of interesting because if you look at the different counties in the presidential election results, you can see the Democratic vote starting to creep north. Um, Very much so in the South is staunchly Democrat um, with the exception of East Tennessee. It's kind of an interesting history there with East Tennessee that um, dating all the way back um, before the civil war, even um, they were a little unlike the rest of the South, but this election was also the last election in which North Dakota and South Dakota did not vote for the same candidate. So uh, just a little tidbit of information that, I'm sure you can take to somebody and impress them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is, I think this is particularly interesting just because in my lifetime, they've played such a huge part in the elections. But this is the last time that a Democrat was elected to two terms without carrying Michigan and Pennsylvania either time. And so um, this it's like these Michigan and Pennsylvania, Michigan, not as much anymore is not thought of. I, I mean, it's a swing state still, but not like it was at this point. But Pennsylvania is always kind of a, a strongly one way or the other state. And so for this to be the last time in over a hundred years, pretty crazy to me. Yeah. So Woodrow Wilson, he is the president for another four years. Thanks, Woodrow. I still like your name, by the way. It's pretty cool. Um, if you want to know about other things that are pretty cool and, and buy them, uh, you can go <laughs> to electioncollege.com slash Amazon, uh, especially if you're doing your holiday shopping on Amazon or anywhere online, but you should do it on Amazon. Head over there. If you go there and anything you buy will be the same price, but we'll get a little cut of it. It helps us out a lot and it really helps the show, uh, in the long run. It's, we're, we're appreciative for sure. Yeah, 
And another way you can support the podcast is to let all of your friends know about Election College. And one way you can let people you don't even know know about this program is to give us a rating on iTunes. And if you're feeling extra generous, go ahead, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you have to say about the program. Absolutely. Come check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be friends on those places at Election College. And uh, I think we'll be friends probably in another four years again, right? Yep. And you can sign up for our newsletter at electioncollege.com slash newsletter. Perfect. I know I'm a fan. I write it, but I'm, I'm also I'm also a big fan. For <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Jason, I think that's it. Yep. We'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.